1: I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. She's a nationally known gerontologist, and with that comes service on many national boards and organizations, and that is what she's doing today. So here I am, and I'm delighted to have a chance to welcome to our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline uh, a gentleman who I've never met but have admired his work. Ken Stern now produces, hosts a podcast called When I'm 64 – He chairs the Longevity Project, is a media executive, founder of Palisades Media Ventures, and I know him from a distance as the former CEO of NPR, National Public Radio, where he did an incredible job increasing revenue and listeners uh, beyond belief. So, Ken Stern, Mazel and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air.
2: Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: So talk to me a little bit about how you're going to help me. I've already made 64. I'm 78. How are we all going to live longer uh, but better lives? Because, as I mentioned to you off the air, my mom, uh, now deceased, uh, lived into her 90s and used to tell me, you know, Ronnie, this bit about living longer, not necessarily good. Everything hurts.
2: Everything. It's, um, you know, it's a really interesting, complicated um question, you know, we produce this podcast in collaboration with the Stanford Center on Longevity, um, and, and sort of you know, the the approach, the way we think about longevity is we think of uh, the doubling of lifespan um, over the last 120 years as one of the great achievements of the 20th century, um, but with it comes enormous complications, right? Um, we live longer, but that also brings, that brings a lot more opportunities, but it also brings challenges around healthcare, and which we've seen in, in AIDS this year, uh, and caregiving and funding longer lives, so it's, um, you know, it's, uh, part of what we think about is you know, how does society need to reorient itself to account for longer life. In some ways, some ways, we still think of, you know, act as if people, you know, live to 70, and frankly, you know, in the future, half half our kids, half the kids born today will live to be 100, and that's just a very different world than, than which we, which I was born into, uh, and which, we've, you know, which we, we
1: think about and expect. As you look at uh, the issue that you mentioned, uh, I, I don't want to lose sight of that, and that is so many people are living beyond their financial resources. It used to be, uh, and I don't know how my dad did it, he was a pharmacist, never made a lot of money, but he saved enough money, put it into wise investments to support him and my mom until they died. Today, people aren't dying, they're living beyond that money.
2: Yeah. So, so there's actually sort of two things to talk about there, uh, and there's, we do a whole program on that question. Um, but you know, in the last 20, 20 years, we've seen a wholesale change in um, how people fund retirement. It used to be, you know, in the world of defined benefit plans, um, uh, that people would, at retirement, exchange a uh, salary for a, um, yeah, for, for a pension. Uh, and that's you know that was a very common thing. It's a very uncommon thing now. Um, you know, the the world in which we live live in is very different. It's much more defined contribution plan. Um, many people don't have adequate um, money for retirement, and it's very hard when you hit 65 or whenever you, you retire. Um, you know, there's a much greater set, uh, um, uh, variability in how you're going uh, how how long you're going to live. It could be. Another year, it could be another 40 years. And sort of planning for that and thinking about be that um, when you have sort of a finite amount of retirement savings, very hard. Um, and in some ways, I think sort of our current system does a disservice to um, retirees um, who you know, live with fear of running out um, and don't know how to really plan for longer lives.
1: My dad had a, a great idea. He floated with his family and my mom's family. They were both large families. Uh, and, and some were enormously successful. So he said, why don't we form a happiness club? All of us will just put our money in. We trust each other. We'll take out what we need. And that way we can fund all of us uh, at, at a level that would be very comfortable. Uh, that plan got one vote. Well, two, my dad my mom. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. It didn't. It's, it's funny. I mean, in some ways you just described Social Security. Uh, yes. Which is we yeah. all pay in and people take out based upon how long they live. Right. We, and we don't really think of it as sort of a collective uh, sharing, but it kind of is. Um, uh, and we probably need more mechanisms like that um, in which uh, society, society collectively funds the risk of living longer. Because um, if you lived 100, it's very hard to think about how you fund a retirement that's going to last you know, almost two generations.
1: Correct. Uh, and let alone the uh, uh, the medical issues that... Often develop, uh, not guaranteed, but the older you get, the more complicated uh, the healthcare side gets as well. And in, uh, in, in many instances,
2: yeah. Well, we've certainly seen that this year, right? With um, coronavirus, if there's a case study in the challenges of longer life or later life, we've seen it this year, in which um, uh, a lot of people, obviously. Enormous number of people have died, um, sadly from coronavirus, but lots of others have had take on health care costs and health care risks that they weren't expecting. Um, and you you mentioned uh, our, our podcast, you know, one of the stories we told was of a uh, in our first uh, set of episodes is the story of two eighty two year old uh, husband and wife, both who got coronavirus and both who stayed home and didn't move into the hospital, but had to sort of think about how do you take care of yourself and how you take care of each other um, in in sort of this extraordinary pandemic.
1: Unbelievable challenge. Yeah. Uh, I like what uh, CNN and others are doing where they're uh, giving a little snapshot of some of the people uh, who have died from the coronavirus. I've got a friend who also a broadcaster uh, who died. Joe Ernest was his name. He was general manager of one of the radio stations I worked for uh, uh, here in san antonio texas uh and, and he died in like four days word got out he had it people went to visit then you couldn't visit and then he was dead boom gone
2: yeah it's such so i think the story this year and you know, so many different stories this year and one is the unexpected unplanned um holy cow nature of what has gone on um you know and, and we talk a lot about planning for retirement um, but, uh, it's very difficult to make sensible plans when there's so many unexpected shocks. This year being a case of Gramble, but, you know, we also have the Great Recession and, you know, number, another of other defe- events have sort of defined, uh, people's lives. And, um, you know, if you live five years after retirement, that's one thing. When you live, you know, many people that live 30 years after retirement, um, very hard to make plans for such a set of unexpected, troubling, hard, hard
1: events. Yeah, for sure. And and yet, uh, uh, short of mass suicide, uh, and and of (laughs) course, white males 65 and over now are the leading numbers of people committing suicide in our society. Uh, And it's not a huge number, uh, but it's pretty scary when people reach that point where they see no hope and no opportunity, uh, no future, no answer.
2: I think that's a fair comment. Um, I, I would uh, say to you, Ron, um, this, this conversation has taken a pretty dark turn uh, in, in terms of thinking about retirement. Um, we did actually a survey earlier this year; um, and it may look a little bit different now, um, and asked people about you know, how they thought about living twenty, thirty years longer than people used to. Um, and you know, it's, it's a mixed blessing, right? Let's 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 call it what it is. Uh, it comes with um, All the challenges we've talked about, but it also comes with uh, the chance to take care of your grandchildren, the chance to spend more time with family, and experience things you didn't before. I mean, you know, uh, when um, when Bismarck invented social, uh, you know, sort of the equivalent of social security in Germany in 1880, people died when they were 54. Um, Now people live 30 years long, 25, 30 years longer. Right. Um, That's a you know, and that comes. a lot of hard things associated with that, but was also, you know, I'm 57. I'm I'm glad I didn't die at 54. I guess I would say exactly. Uh, I look forward to you know, well, um, another 20, 30 more years. Uh, um, you know, uh, at this particular point in my life, that's a that's a that's a blessing, not a curse.
1: Well, I like you doing a podcast, uh, title of which spins off uh, the Beatles, of course. Uh, when I'm 64, and you you're not there yet. Uh, I was there, and I'm past that. Uh, But I wanted to share with you, I've got a a, a lot of reason to live another 30, 40 years. My wife and I, uh, she's a little younger than I am, 57, uh, and we adopted three children, siblings, who now are twin boys who are seven and a little girl who's nine. I'll be uh, 89 when when my daughter graduates high school, and I promised her I will be there.
2: That's that's an amazing story, Ron, and a beautiful story, right? Uh, Couldn't have... I mean, one of the reasons we called this, um, and I think here's sort of a case story of why we why we called it When I'm 64. You know, when the Beatles wrote that song 60 years ago, you know, they thought of 64 as old. Right. Uh, and now 64's not old. No. Uh, and, you know, it, it's When I'm 64 is a story about caregiving, and when you're 64, you might be getting care, but you're just likely, more likely now to be giving it to someone who's old, an older relative. Um, and like, you know, uh, um your story is amazing and uh you know what people are doing later in life um you know now is much more varied and includes incredible things like like you described uh i, I talked yesterday because he's gonna be at our conference in December to an interview of F Murray Abraham who you may remember the actor from uh, right. the movie Amadeus. right uh and he's 81 and you know he's not he's in a new show on Apple TV um um, called Mythic Quest, which is great. And, you know, he's not slowing down a bit, uh, and he wouldn't have any other way. So, you know, the, the, the thing we see now is that people tend to think of 65 as, as sort of the beginning of retirement. It's much more varied, and there's uh, periods of health and great health and poor health and uh, energy, high energy and low energy and uh, upsides and downsides. And, you know, it, it's a much more varied cohort than, used to be. And that's you know, one of the big lessons of, 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 of the century.
1: Well, we're going to come back to you in just a minute. One of the things I also want to talk with you about are uh, the ways in which uh, the digital platform and uh, television, using television as broadly defined as possible, are bringing so many different choices uh, for us to see. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on Special Assignment Today, and we're talking with Ken Stern when I'm 64. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether... The new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friend. Hello, friend.
2: Really good to see you once again. Hello, friend. Hello, friend.
1: Really good to see you once again. See, we should have dug up when I'm 64, but... That would have been just, you know, expected. I'm Ron Aaron. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. Ken Stern is with us. He's podcast host of When I'm 64, chair of the Longevity Project, and uh, is involved in all kinds of issues on living longer, living better, living well. At one point in his career, uh, he was the CEO of National Public Radio and did a great job expanding not only their listenership, uh, but funding which is so critical to keep them going. And Ken, uh, w- one of the things that uh, uh, was mentioned that uh, I see in some of the background information I got about the work you're doing is the whole question about uh, how, uh, you know, Newton Minow called what TV the vast wasteland. Uh, it, it is no longer that if by TV we mean, and you mentioned Apple TV, there are so many choices now and so many programs now uh, i'm not sure how they're all getting funded but there they are and and you get a multiplicity of choices every time you turn on that tv
2: yeah it's it's um now you're taking me back to my uh the issues that i spent a lot of time thinking about when i was npr a decade ago um and how people of so the expansion of uh, of of content you know npr was started in part because were so few choices um, right. uh, for, for news um, in, in the day, in the 1970s, same for PBS uh, to expand it. But um, you know, now there's sort of endless opportunities for creating new content. And that's exciting for me as a content creator um, and now a producer of podcasts, um, and as a consumer itself uh, um, of, of you know, things like Apple TV and Netflix and others. Um, and it is sort of an extraordinary time. I don't know if it's making us any smarter or better informed. Uh, I think we have suggest otherwise. But it is a, you know, a revolution that um, I don't think we would have predicted 15 years ago when we were looking at the launch of podcasts at NPR and the launch of our digital channels and our satellite radio channels.
1: Now, it's not that long ago. Go back to the 1960s. I wrote an article for Phi Beta Kappa magazine uh, when cable was first rolling out and expanding uh, from just an improved signal uh, to a content system. Uh, I wrote a piece called 54 Channels of Laverne and Shirley. Uh, the idea was, how will it be different? And, of course, yeah, it's, it, mean, is yeah, it, it is different now.
2: It is different. and it's extru- I mean, it's different. I, I think the... the, the and this goes for a lot of different things. Sort of the speed of change seems to increase all the time. Um, you know, the idea of you—you you started this off by uh, referring to all the different choices we had in have on television. Um, you know, Apple TV and Netflix, and um, my son is upstairs giggling at Disney huh. Plus. Uh, I am sure, rather than doing any homework. Um, uh, you know, and those things weren't even—you know—most of those things didn't exist or weren't even a Significant player just a couple years ago. I don't think Disney Plus existed last year. I'm pretty sure Apple TV didn't exist two years ago. Um, The pace of change is extraordinary. That's exciting for those of us who are on the content creation side.
1: Tell me a little more about your podcast and the kind of topics that uh, uh, folks can find there and how we find it to listen.
2: Yeah, so thank you for asking, Ron. Sure. It's called, when I'm 64, it's the story of caregivers. Um, and it really grew out of um, you know, uh, our conversations with the, the, the organization that actually um, uh, was responsible for the podcast, um, the Stanford Center on Longevity, and the recognition that there are 53 million caregivers in this country, and this has been a year of extraordinary challenge. It's always hard to be a caregiver, um, as you know, and um, um, but this year has been... Complicating and reflecting that sort of specific challenge, and factors not enough in terms of social community support for caregivers, let alone for the people who they're taking care of. So we wanted to tell the story of caregivers. So um, we started this podcast. uh, We launched it week and a half ago with four episodes, but we'll have episodes about every three weeks, and they're each built around a a story of a caregiver uh, and their specific challenge. So we've had. uh, the next, ish, next uh, episode out is about dementia. It starts with a uh, actually former colleague of mine named Ki Isley, whose father um, uh, has Alzheimer's, and she left NPR to take care of him. So, uh, so we tell the story of caregivers in their own words, and then we bring on a couple experts um, from the top institutions of in the world to sort of talk about what can be done to help caregivers. So it's. Um, uh, it's an exciting opportunity for us to really have the chance to do what um, um, what we wanted, which is really give voice to the stories of the 53 million Americans. Our sort of tagline is: "There are 53 million caregivers in the country, and there's 53 million stories." So you, that's really what the what the podcast.
1: Sure. Is about. Now, if you Google "Caregiver SOS on air" this show, and, and Google "Caregiver SOS on air" podcast. Uh, you will find uh, more than a 100 uh, interviews that we have done, some with caregivers, some with folks like you who are on, uh, the, you know, the outside looking in, dealing with the issue of caregiving. Uh, and, you know, if you're looking for ideas, I'm sure you got plenty, but you will find a ton there as well. And, you, you know, we put them out there. You're welcome to pick and choose. Yeah, that's
2: beautiful. Uh, and i uh, um I should say thank you, Ron, for doing the show. It's an amazing service. Um, And and you did ask me where you can find our uh, podcast, which I do want to tell your listeners, you can find it wherever you do your podcasts, Apple, um, uh, iHeart Radio, um, uh, iHeart Media, the San Antonio company, I guess. Um, uh, But you can also find it through our website, um, longevity-project.com, or the Stanford's um, Longevity Center website, longevity.stanford.edu.
1: iHeart began here as Clear Channel Radio, uh, but subsequently in in the last few years, they've moved their headquarters uh, to Nueva, New York. Uh, Well, so much for them. But they have a few here. A few of their big hitters are here, but mostly uh, gone. And uh, that's an interesting example of taking advantage of uh, a small change in FCC regulations governing licensing of radio stations, because the uh, Mays family, who were the driving force behind Clear Channel Radio, uh, figured out very quickly that they could gobble up radio stations that were all over this country, and you could own multiple stations in a market, uh, which uh, for decades before that, you couldn't do. And so they grew to the largest broadcast operation in the country, well over uh, 1,200 to 1,300 stations. They also discovered, as you learned at NPR, it's tough to manage one entity. Uh, imagine trying to manage all those across the country, dealing with folks, many of whom see themselves as uh, you know, independent
2: rough riders. Right. Strange. I, I, it's interesting. You mentioned this, and this is, uh, forgive me for going off topic, I just find this to be interesting. I, mean, I think few people understand uh, you clearly do, but few people understand sort of the transformative, um, uh, transformative changes in radio that occurred with Clear Channel because Clear because uh, radio was always a local, locally owned medium um, for you know, for decades and decades, and
1: and that was um, its success.
2: Yeah, uh, and then you know they changed the the FCC changed the cross ownership rules, uh, and you know within a couple years, uh, Clear Channel, especially but not uniquely. Um, really transformed radio, and you know, uh, that also transformed, that who owned it, but also what was heard on radio dial. Um, I digress from our topic, but it's, it's, it's really
1: hey, My dad, when he was alive, and he was smart, and I knew he understood this, but when we would go on a road trip, uh, he would say, look, they've got an ex company here. Oh, look, there's a radio shack here. We have one of those in Cleveland. So he would joke about how they spread everywhere, uh, and, and radio became sameness in in many cases. That's right. I I love episode four uh, because an interview with Seth Rogen and Lauren Miller, uh, Rogen and I gather they have parents they're caregiving for?
2: So um, Lauren's mother um, uh, had Alzheimer's. Um, I I believe she's passed away. Um, uh, And her father was the caregiver to her mother and Lauren sort of thought of herself as a caregiver to her father and his support. Wow. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful episode um, uh, because Lauren and Seth are so eloquent about it. The, uh, they met. I mean, this is one of the, you know, we tend to think of caregivers, because they mostly are, uh, as being middle aged or older. Um, but about a quarter of caregivers, which is about 14, 13 million people, are you know, generation z and uh, millennials and lauren uh started taking care you know, sort of being part of the caregiving team when she was about 23 which is also when she met seth so it was all sort of came together and sort of this um they, they became a couple as her mother was being diagnosed with uh, early onset alzheimer's
1: wow it's a real challenge we do a lot of shows with uh, uh caregivers who are Caring for Folks with Alzheimer's. And from time to time, we've been able to have someone who, who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's who are uh, still uh, somewhat lucid to come on and talk about what it's like to see your life literally uh, slip away, but you don't slip away. So it's it's been very interesting from that standpoint. What got you interested in doing these shows?
2: So, uh, you know, partially, so it's so a number of things that came together. Um, partially, it's my own experiences uh, being part of the Sandwich generation and have a you know twelve year old son upstairs and a ninety two year old mother nearby um, who is uh, requires care uh, uh, and support. so it's my own personal experiences, mm. um, similar to what you know so many of your listeners experience um, but it's also because of you know the work of the for Center on Longevity and the events of this year. Uh, but we actually started the first the, the first thing that actually said uh, I'll tell you the story for what it's worth, Ron. About you know what it began to make us talk about long, uh, about caregiving. I mean it was an issue of you know in, uh, of sort of great importance that is complicated in the pandemic. But as I was talking with the folks at Stanford, you know one of the things I asked is of all the things you do, um, what do people always want more of? And instantly they said caregiving, and that's because there's just not enough information out there for caregivers. there's not uh, enough to bring people together. everyone feels isolated a lot. I'm sure you hear
1: that on your show. We do. And unfortunately, Uh, you've heard this before. We are out of time. So (laughs) I I I appreciate you coming on. It's been great. A pleasure to get to know you over the radio. And uh, we hope again to have a chance to talk with Ken Stern. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 a.m. The Answer.